McNulty stunning for everyone to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts no, from Bosby. are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Hi, Pompey fans, and welcome to Pier Forecast episode 207. Well, it's 207 episodes in, as Pompey goes seven points clear on the top of League One. Join the podcast today is Freddie Webb. How are you, Freddie? Oh, I'm very well, Hugh, and oh, what a segue. The, the, the 207th show, the seven points clear. We've been doing this for too long for this club to be a League, a League One team, haven't we? We're, we're getting there, fingers crossed, even though I'm not. I'm still not saying it's on. You know that South Park clip where Stan does that dance? You know the one I mean, where where they keep on saying it's on and it's off. And that's my entire brain saying it's on and off over and over again. I I don't want to say it's on, though. It's too early still. Andy said it's on, didn't he, on the last episode? He's gone full in by saying it's on. Look, we're seven points clear at the top of League One at the moment. Things are going well. But yeah, I understand until it's later in the season and we still have a big points gap, you just don't want to curse it, do you? I think the only thing I've provisionally done is uh, I'm making sure I'm not working the last two weekends of the season. That's literally the only thing I've organised preemptively. Have you put those off already? Talking about No, I've just, said, I've just said, please don't put me on those weekends. Let's, let's see if the news actually stick to that. But how are you anyway, mate? What are you up for the Christmas break? Are you, are you still working now? Oh, I'm very well. I've only got like two more half shifts, so I'm just working with over the next two mornings, seven till eleven thirty or something. Then that's it. I'm off until working New Year's Day. So New Year's Eve celebrations are going to be quite subdued because I'll be I'll be working on the first day of the year. So that'll be that'll be sweet. But now I've gone back to York seeing mum and dad, which is very nice. Keeping you in check, mate. We all know what can happen if you go a bit wild on New Year's Eve. It could be a two day bender. So. Maybe that's going to keep you in check a little bit. I, I've actually been off since last Friday. I've managed to book off some time. I've got, what, 18 days off. So it's kind of surreal, to be honest, not working at all. But don't really know what to do myself apart from hang out, watch football and, yeah, do things like making a podcast. So, all right, let's just get into what we're doing today. So, first of all, we are going to review the game against Shrewsbury. Following on from that, we're going to look at what's happened with the squad players as we talk about Freddie's favourite competition against AFC Wimbledon. And then we're going to go and there's only me and Fred today. Andy's going off doing some sort of Christmas sort of shindig or whatever he's doing. So well, I think he actually might be working, but you know. So we're going to go straight into reviewing the game on Saturday against Fleetwood. So let's get started, Fred. Let's start with a nice one here. Shrewsbury. We knew they're going to be a team who would sort of sit back, not very much defensive threat. But this game really spelled it out, didn't it? They tried to hold on at the start of the game. It was quite bitty. But as the game went on, Pompey just sort of grew into it, didn't they? 
Yeah, absolutely. It was difficult to start with. Uh, I didn't get much glimpse of this game at the time because on Saturday I was working a lot. But at like 25 minutes, I just had a quick look at the flash score and it said something like one shot for Shrewsbury, barely anything for Pompey. Pompey's 75% possession, I thought. Ah, it's that sort of game. So as you can imagine, Shrewsbury made the most of packing the penalty area defensively and trying to hit on the counter-attack. That kind of worked when Ryan Bowman had that had that shot from a half-cleared long throw that was hit back in. But really, Norris was fine with that, and then not much else happened. I think there was a long shot from Jack Sparks that was easily saved. And then there was one pattern of play where Kamara pressed the defender, the ball went out, Morel recycled it, played it to Sparks, who put in the cross, and then Lane low-crossed it to Yengi, and Yengi blazed it over from the middle of the penalty area. That was probably the first chance of that actual half, what I'd call a clear chance anyway. So no, it's very bitty. It was obvious that Shrewsbury were making things difficult and trying to do what we sort of knew what what they would set out to do, try and hit Pompey on the break, get in the gaps between the centre-halves and the full-backs. But thankfully, they didn't do it very well, unfortunately. They, they didn't create many chances and the chances that they had, they um, skewed them wide most of the time. Yeah, and I'm going to come on to talk about how their defence did a little bit later. You've done my job a little bit there, Fred. You've gone through those early chances, so that's decent and stuff. I always thought when Shrewsbury tried to get forward a little bit, they just looked a bit aimless. They don't really have a focus for their attack. They had the draw- to play, did they? They couldn't retain no. the possession. As soon as they were able to clear it very well, they just went back to a pumping midfielder who would just recycle it wide. And they had no outball at all. It was very disappointing from them, unfortunately. Yeah, and when they did get into good positions, I think Jordan Shipley got into good position down the left-hand side. And what does he do? None of their attackers really make any runs, create any space in the box. He just sort of P-rolls it into, into Norris there. And it's a little bit frustrating this first half. You kind of feel like it was one of those games, getting towards half-time, it was going to peter out a little bit. And then, that's right, Marlon Pack's been listening to your love of long throws. And he thought, do you know what I'm going to do? Just for Freddie Webb, I'm gonna I'm gonna just try launching into the box. It's not something I'd usually do from now, but he picks the ball up. He potentially drives it off with a towel. He throws it into the box. This is the kind of thing that players like Shay Dunkley and you know Shrewsbury generally would be quite happy to defend. But they let the ball bounce. Big mistake. It comes through to Kamara, who does really well on the stretch to make it one 0 before half time. Yeah, we mentioned in passing how Shrewsbury defence should be able to do deal with aerial passes like a long throw or or a crosses. They should be able to deal with those very well. Dunkley and Pierre are both good sense halves at this level who could do that. And neither of them got hold of that long throw. I think it's probably I can't remember the last time Ports have actually got a goal scoring opportunity or an actual goal from a long throw. I think it's been an awfully long time. And I would put it down more to the bad defending the actual long throw. But there we are. That, by the by, I'm not bothered because Kamara was able to get past his man at the back post and put it in. And that was half-time, 1-0. I think the only other chance that Shrewsbury had was uh, when Noah Kenner managed to nick the ball off Robertson where we were trying to play out from the back from the penalty area, recycle it for the keeper, but he hit it straight at Norris again. Neil Allen got a bit of stick at half-time by saying that first-half performance was terrible. I, I wouldn't say it was terrible. I think we'll be talking about a performance that's terrible a little bit later on in the show, to be honest. I, I wouldn't describe that first half as terrible going in 1-0 I wouldn't describe it as aimless either I'd probably say below average I wouldn't say Pompey were brilliant by any manner of means but I wouldn't describe them in that sort of thing I broke down expected goals in the first half 
and Pompey had five of their 13 shots with two on target and had 0.51 expected goals. Obviously got the goal from Kamara. And Shrews had just the three shots, three on target, 0.43 expected goals. So purely from that point, they were quite even. It fitted with what I watched and analysed afterwards. I'm not sure what you thought. Yeah, I thought the first half was a very cagey affair. But we've seen this quite a lot this season with Pompey, haven't we? That they sort of grow into games as it goes on. And as soon as you got that first goal, to be honest, Fred, I was thinking, right, how is Shrewsbury going to come back into this and, and get an equaliser? They've been quite toothless up front. We spoke to the guys, well, Ollie from the Salop cast, and he didn't seem to think they had much going forward. As, as soon as they went 1-0 behind, that was sort of game plan over. And then basically going to the second half, it, it, it sort of just opened up a bit more, didn't it? Let's look at the second goal. Morel's in the middle. He plays at the Sparks, I think it was. He just lost it down the line to Paddy Lane. He's in acres of space. No one's closing him down. Shay Dunkley actually did pretty well on this side for the of the game. I see uh, from a defensive you know, standpoint, he sort of stopped Paddy Lane winning any ground duels. He, he went zero for six in this game. But as soon as he's in behind him, as soon as any of our wingers on the left-hand side, whether it was Paddy Lane or, or Kamara on the right-hand side, got in behind the defence, it spelled trouble for them, really. As we said, they had to step up a bit after going 1-0 down. Paddy Lane, acres of space, back to the goal now. And he just crosses it, taps it through the middle. It's an easy finish. Marlon Pack does really well, I suppose, to be the runner in the box and join the attack. And it's 2-0. And from there, it's sort of game over, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It was nice that we've seen this season the midfielders running into the penalty area behind when the wingers have got gone into that aggressive space, which is very good. You have to do that because especially playing one up, traditionally one up top in a 4-2-3-1. You simply need more options in the penalty area. And like you said, I don't know how Paddy Lane ended up in all that space. I have no idea where Shrewsbury's wing-back was. Nowhere near him. I don't know if he went to tuck back into the penalty area or anything, but there we are. And then, yeah, Pack just with a, a very simple run. Cross was perfectly rated, but bang in for 2-0. Two, for and then I'm trying to remember a Shrewsbury chance afterwards. There was that, um, I think there was like a a Max Matter chance that went over the bar. There was a couple as well, the wasn't there? second half. And, and that's, that's about it from what I could gather. That again, it was a shame really, because on paper they looked very good defensively. And I liked Shipley in this game. He was probably, the most of the attacking play went through him on that side. But, but otherwise, they didn't have no idea going forward. And as soon as they went 1-0 down, that was kind of about it, even though Pompey were in second gear most of the time. I think Daniel Udu had a chance where the ball was sort of lofted over the top, didn't deal with it too well. When it went in behind Ragger, exactly what he said to Ollie was sort of what he could do, stretch the defence. Probably should have squared that ball, to be honest, but he's a striker and instead he hits it and just blazes it over. He put his foot through it and my God, it went high and wide. <laughs> I mean... It was almost as if, oh, thank God, I've got a one-on-one -on -one chance. I've beaten the defender, a lovely ball over the top, and he skied it, which was an utter shame. And to be honest, that was the, uh, one of the few times that Pompey's defence got caught out properly with a lofted diagonal ball, which I thought Shrewsbury would do a lot more of. Because aside from Shrewsbury sometimes being able to win the ball when Pompey played out from the back a little bit, I thought to be slightly picky, they didn't do what they did well in the Bolton game where they brought the ball out first before playing around the defence. They were still trying to play out around the penalty area and they got caught a couple of times, but Shrewsbury didn't capitalise on those little bits. Yeah, not at all. I think we looked pretty comfortable. And then just to 
put a cherry on top of this game, I suppose. Good to see Colby Bishop back, back into this game, comes off the off the bench and he's involved in the third the third goal. I think Raggett's the person, he just plays it up to Bishop and there's a bit of a struggle, but Bishop draws in two defenders. Ball comes back out to Sadie. He does really well, gets his body position right. He's got his head up and he just slides through Kamara. Again, as I said in this game, as soon as the two wingers were behind their defence, they were in trouble. Kamara just puts his foot through it. That's how you do it, Daniel Udu. You just strike it cleanly into the goal. It's 3-0 and that is that is game over. As we said, Shrewsby had to chase the game at some point and yeah, they stepped up and that was the end of it really. They couldn't really deal with Bishop physically there and it was just a case then of the players he brought on, some fresh legs and they looked leggy as well at the end of this game. It's 3-0. I noticed Fred Kamara, uh, this is from Footmob, but he got two goals. There's only a 0.47 expected goal. So it wasn't it wasn't an easy chance either, was it, from that narrow angle? No, not at all. He had to hit it pretty much pretty flush, didn't he? And lovely finish. It was one of the few near post goals where I don't really blame the keeper there. Because Kamara pretty much hit it in literally the only place where the goalkeeper where Mark Morosi couldn't really reach it. Right in the corner. Right in the corner, nowhere. Nowhere for the goalkeeper to go there. Lovely pass by Sadie. Very uh, very well weighted. He had a lot of composure there when the ball fell down to him, which was good. And I like the fact that Pompey's attackers are always looking for always looking for that runner, trying to get in between the space. And that's very pleasing. And it helped Pompey's high press in this game showed. Pompey's passes allowed per defensive action, where the low number indicates a high press. It didn't go above 7.7 throughout the entire second half. They were on them completely. And that really helped with the fact that Shrewsbury basically had to chase the game a little bit. So no, with those two things, showed it with that third goal. A lovely effort and yeah, wrapped it all up in a fairly comfortable game. I know some people said Pompey could have done it a bit more cleanly and a bit with a bit more pressurism, but I'm not bothered. It's a freedom win away from home. We usually draw nil-nil there all the, all, over the countless years we played against Shrewsbury away from home. Or lost one nil due to a screamer. I'm perfectly happy with the three 0 win and uh, to move it on. And it was the fourth clean sheet, fourth clean sheet after that four nil loss to Blackpool. And the teams completely ignored that poor result and have kicked on brilliantly. I couldn't be happy with them. Yeah, and no, I'm exactly the same. And you just talk about the clean sheets there. We were really worried about Regan Paul going going down and stuff, and how many goals we could concede, as well as how that affect the build-up. How do you feel Sean Raggett's fitted into this team then? We know what he brings defensively to it. He's helped shore us up at the back, you know, four clean sheets with him playing at centre-back. And he seems to be stepping up a little bit better. Look, he's never going to be that complete ball passing, you know, carrying the ball out of defence, but he is sort of stepping up into that, into that role, Fred. So how would you feel about him being a mainstay for the close of the season? even if you have to bring in another centre-back as as cover? Or, or do you think we bring in somebody as a rotation player with him or someone to to put him back on the bench? You know, What are your feelings coming to January with, with how Sean Raggett's been playing? I think Sean Raggett's been excellent and he's definitely he showed us one there where we were both fretting about Paul's season-ending injury and thinking, oh God, with Raggett's issues out of the back, there's going to be so many problems. But no, in the Bolton game especially, he had... An excellent game where he played out from the back, made about four or five passes to the midfield under pressure as well, which was the main notable thing. He's handling other teams pressing him quite well. Though we know he's not going to be able to hit a ball on the sixpence all the time, 
but he's playing incredibly well. And it might be an old fashioned opinion, but I always like, I always treat center half pairings like striker pairings. If you're playing top, top, if you get a good partnership going, why would you change it? Even if, even if really in the long term you're thinking uh, it might be nice if a different centre half was playing there, but I don't think they should. At the at the rate that they're going, four clean sheets in a row after the four nil, you may as well keep the centre half pair the partnership together where they're both match sharp, match fit. They know they know whereabouts that they'll be on the pitch a lot of the time. So you may as well bring in a rotation centre half who can play the ball out from the back and ease them in rather than completely switching up a defensive unit that's working. Yeah, and it's quite interesting. I thought Marlon Pack playing in this game was sort of played that complete playmaker role. I think that helps as well with not having two passing centre-backs at the back, you know, 10 passes into the final third, 10 out of 13 of his long balls were accurate. It's the kind it of thing... how I'd... much we surprisingly missed him, haven't we? Uh, I think that yeah. team has missed Pack an awful lot. I know he's not, most of the time, I know he scored in this game, but usually he's not the most advanced midfielder, but he just keeps things ticking over. And if he allow, and, and if he's doing that and allowing the other midfielders like Robertson and Morel to be a bit more aggressive and play with a bit more freedom, then that's the perfect midfielder to have. And I noticed in parts of this game that Robertson was also dropping deep to receive passes from Raggett and Shot in the sea to allow Pack to go forward as well. So if you've got multiple players who could fill in that role, you've got fluid midfield free, well... Effectively, you've got the double pivot and the attack fielder who are switching around all the time. And there's always going to be someone supporting the wingers and the striker as well. It's very fluid and I really like it. And that's offset our major fears of uh, Paul going down with the injury, I think. Yeah, it makes us a lot more difficult to sort of to mark. You know, some of these defensive teams who try and stick a player on a player and mark man to man. I think that sort of negates that a little bit when you've got different players drifting into different positions. It does make it harder for people to pick up our midfielders and just seems to allow us to get the ball into one position halves and, and start playing our game, get our tempo going and, and basically unleash our attacking threats. And so far, Paddy Lane, Kamara, etc. On, on both wings have been great. Up front, Bishop coming back, he causes more problems and we just look like a very good team, very comprehensive team. As you said, winning three now away from home, you can't dominate every minute of each game. That's just not what League One's no. about. So Not at all, not at all. And we said it several times, but how much good has swapping the wings done with Lane and Kamara? Kamara's been exceptional since he's been put on his proper side and it hasn't offset Lane's performances at all because Lane is still sometimes able to cut back on his right side and have a shot or when he's in the right position, shoot with his left foot from that side. No, that that change helped an awful lot. And we're not, and we're not having problems with creating chances at all, are we? No, and Paddy Lane actually had a chance in this game, didn't he, where he sort of drifted onto the right and the ball bounces up and he just he hits it from there. So, yeah, all going, very fluid, can't be happier. Until we move on to the next game here, and let's talk about the AFC Wimbledon defeat yesterday because... That was a little bit more worrying, wasn't it? Obviously, there's there's a lot of rotation here and people have now come out on Twitter. I've seen people saying, oh, we need to get a whole load of new players in January just to sort of, you know, because they're saying these players aren't good enough. But some of these players have performed well in the starting team, in the first team. But it was quite an off day for Pompey, wasn't it? And let's do the elephant in the room because Schofield had a terrible game. He let in a lot of weak goals. Yeah, absolutely. He... he... 
he struggled commanding of his area, which is the main thing that I was upset about, the flapping from the corner as well. That worried me an awful lot. And I know it's a small thing. And people are obviously rightly saying if Norris goes down, then the season is like, oh. And I know Schofield hasn't played for a month. But when you're given that opportunity, you have to play better, don't you? I mean, it's a, there's a difference between coming in and being a bit shaky, but doing all right, to being at fault for arguably at least two of those goals. It, it was a shame, really. I know he had a makeshift defence in France as well, because you had Hume playing at left back, who actually had a good game. I think many people said he was one of the one of the few players to go away from the game with some credibility. Was it Rafferty who sort of played that centre-half role instead of Swanson? I couldn't quite tell from reading the reports back, but obviously usually a right-back playing at centre-half, never ideal. And then you've got a, a new options in the field who are trying to get match fit. Obviously, lots of things adding up there for why the performance will be a bad one and why we get knocked out. But it was incredibly poor and I was disappointed and you don't let in five goals against the League Two team. You just don't. I think Jordan Cross described the performance as insipid and I think... That was the perfect descriptor of it, when nothing really clicked at all, which was a a crying shame. And then Joe Rafferty mentioned it afterwards in the paper, where he basically said players were taking more risks in the game because they thought they had to try and play their way into the manager's hands. And they usually take more risks in that competition because it's not a league game, it's a cup game. But ultimately, the players weren't good enough, and the majority of the players thought that after the 90 minutes. So... Yeah, not a lot to look forward to, not a lot to look into after that, to be honest. And I'm leaving my bias of that competition to the side for a second, because even though I am happy that we're out of it, obviously, you can't be losing, uh, letting in five goals against FC Wimbledon. You just can't. I know they brought in Al Hamadi at the end, one of their best players, who arguably is going to go to the championship. Yikes. <laughs> Massive yikes. And it basically cements the idea that John Massino shouldn't change the starting eleven because seemingly we've seen this in a lot of cup games. Whenever the the rotation players have come in, they haven't done it in these scenarios where they're all brought in at the same time. Different matter entirely for players like Yengi who came into a settled team. But hey, you have to take the opportunities you're given, aren't you? Yeah, and Devlin was sort of a fault for a couple of goals as well, alongside the goalkeeper. You know, gives it away for the first goal. Um, Sasu manages to sort of shrug him off the ball runs through on goal Schofield for the first one I still think should potentially get a hand to that but ends up in the back of the net and then again he, lose, he loses the ball for to Josh Davison they hit us quick on the attack Towler's out of position as well and Schofield from that angle needs to narrow the angle better he's basically on the corner of the six yard box when he hits that and again it goes under him the corner he flaps at it that gets knocked in as well and then there's, you know, one of the last goals, I think it was, from a free kick and, well, it's, it's the fourth goal. It just gets driven underneath the wall. Maybe the wall should be better there, but again, beat it at the near post. There's a lot of mistakes here, but when we talk about players making mistakes, not being good enough, I spoke about two from Devlin there, but he's been generally good for us in the first team and has had a good impact, like when he came on against Bolton, for instance, as a player. So he's still young, he'll learn. And let's shrug this one off. And Fred, do you think from a, Positive point of view here. It's good that we're out of this competition. Less games to play in the run-in now. Seven points clear. Uh, 100% yes. I mean, 
Yes, I'm going to put my bias against the competition way over in the corner, over there, and saying we should have been out of it earlier. But at this point, it's pretty clear that that from the mentality of the players and, and from the previous cup games that their goal is the league, isn't it? I mean, it's been pretty obvious. that I, I know people had a bit of a reaction when we lost to Peterborough in the League Cup and then slightly more of a reaction when we lost to Chesterfield in the FA Cup in the first round where lots of the first team play, but they just didn't turn up. But then in the next league game, all those fears were put aside and that cup game was forgotten. I think that'll happen with this cup game as well. Yes, the scores scoreline's awful and there were multiple bad performances in it, but I'm not worried at all, to be honest with you. I think it's pretty clear that the player's goal is the league. They fully are behind that and they get that. So less distractions in a cup that ultimately doesn't matter with B teams in it is a good thing in my opinion. Yeah, and you've got to look at the FA Cup and go out to Chesterfield, but we still lost two very useful squad players there with Andrew and Paul getting injured. So, you know, there's less chance of any other players, squad players or whoever getting injured now with well, with us being out of this competition. So on a positive note, I think we can just put all our focus into the league now. We're not worrying about chopping and changing it. Players can be rotated in when needed in the squad when we do probably pick up a few more injuries. And let's hope going into January now, we can just pad this squad out a little bit more, give us a little bit more of a safety sort of gap or whatever you want to call it and, and go forward. Fred, do you think we should go and get a new goalkeeper? It's not an easy thing to do, is it? To get a backup goalkeeper well, in January. Well, no, because at this point, think of all the goalkeepers who would be available. Let's, well, for example, our Matt Macy type, who was second or third choice keeper at a championship team at the time. And then take all those potential players and how many of them are going to come in at Pompey and be second choice when they're second or third choice previous? Nobody. You've just got to stick with what you have as a subkeeper, I think, in this time. And really, the goalkeepers who are out on loan, Joshua Loyemi and Toby Stewart, there's no reason to disrupt their loan spells for it either because are they going to be better than Schofield in the next... If, for example, an injury happens? I don't think so. So you may as well just stick with what you have. I don't think there's going to be an option for a subkeeper. And if there is, are you going to waste another loan slot on it? I don't think Pompey have any loan slots left, do they? As far as I'm aware. So, no, it's an incredibly tough one. I still think the areas to look at are centre-half. So you've got four centre-halves, unless you want to send Riley Taylor out on loan, who unfortunately didn't look very good in this game at all. His confidence is completely gone. And it doesn't help that he's playing with a different centre-half partner every time he plays. That probably doesn't help either. And then you could argue potentially a player who can play up front and on the wing as another backup because the mid-centre of the field and the full-backs are set, aren't they? So those are the two positions you're looking at. You're looking to bring in two players. And then to offset that, you're probably still going to look to offload Denver Hume because he wants to leave for first-team football, which is absolutely right. So it's going to be quite a targeted and specific January, I think. I think a subkeeper would only come in if it was obvious or if it was, I don't know why, a kid who would potentially develop at Pompey in the training sessions. But then again, I'm not even sure about that, really. Yeah, neither am I, mate. I think it's just going to be a case of see it through. But you know, if somebody lands on a lap, it's an obvious choice, as you said, then fine. Yeah, but I don't think you're going to get a lone keeper to be number two. And let's be honest, you'd be picking up a veteran or maybe buying someone from non-league, maybe? with a bit of potential. But again, if they haven't got an EFL experience, you know how are they going to play in potentially big games going forward? So we're just going to have to hope that Will Norris stays fit, really. 
Please stay fit, Will Norris. <laughs> That's all I can say. Fingers crossed, mate. Let's get into the Fleetwood game. Let's get into the preview. And let's have a little talk about Fleetwood. Fleetwood are on a absolutely woeful, woeful run at the moment. In the last six games they've played, they've lost 3-0 at home to Stevenage, 3-0 away to Wigan, 4-0 away to Cambridge, 3-0 away to Derby, 3-0 away from Northampton, and 1-0 at home to Peterborough, which is a little bit better for them. But they haven't scored a goal in any of those games either. When we talk about teams not being good at scoring, they really are up there. And the other issue for them is actually in defence. In open play so far, they've got 23.18 expected goals against, which is the second worst in the league, only to Burton. They're also conceding at rounding that rate as well. They conceded 24 goals from open play. So it's not like there's an anomaly there. This team can't really attack Freddie. They can't score goals and they are leaky from open play. What have you got to add to that, really? Because it seems quite comprehensive that this should be a Pompey win. Well, yeah, with a Sony pessimist saying that with all that information there, then it will be a Fleetwood, 2-0 Fleetwood win. But no, it shouldn't happen. Fleetwood have a couple of notable threats, I think. People might look at Jack Marriott with five goals, but we know he's a sort of striker where if he doesn't have any service, it's that point is mute, isn't it? And obviously with Jaden Stockley there as well, who's only got his one goal in this season, he hasn't really played that much. But two players who might cause Pompey some problems, they've got Junior Quiterna, a very direct winger who scored four, four goals this season, who likes to challenge full-backs with one-versus-one dribbling and always seems to have the ball glued to his feet and he can recycle possession if he gets into trouble as well. Um, and then Jack Hancock's favourite player, Phoenix Patterson, a crazy, another creative and direct winger who doesn't always start for some reason. I don't know why, because he's above average in a lot of the metrics for wingers in League One. And again, another threat similar to Quaterna, a very direct player to create a lot there. And then they've got some players like Josh Earl, who play for Preston, who I really like at left back and has had some good seasons behind him. But the defensive unit looks very weak. They're also changing the formation an awful lot. I think in those last six games, they played a 4-4-2, a 4-3-3, and a 4-1-4-1. Which is, and whenever you see a side changing the formation every two minutes, it's pretty obvious that they don't know where the manager, in this case Lee Johnson, doesn't know his best team or the best style of play. With that all said, I think Portsmouth will be fine. I know they've got a couple of creative threats there, and obviously the pessimism of them being in poor form for ages, you would assume... That, you know, the cynic and you would say that Porsche would use, but they're not, they shouldn't do against this team. It should be a wrap up three points as long as they keep, as long as they keep the wings very solid. If, if Sparks and Rafferty are very good on their one versus one defending, shift the ball into midfield and then from there, it, the game should play itself, hopefully. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not too worried, to be honest. They try and get the ball wide, put balls into the box. Their pressing's pretty average in the league. It's 12th. I don't really understand what this team's trying to do, to be honest. I'm not sure if they're trying to press win the ball back or they're trying to sit in. They just look leaky all over the pitch and a little bit aimless. So for me, this this really should be should be a win, really, shouldn't it? Josh Lynch in goal. He's not a bad player for a goalkeeper and he's still conceding loads of goals as well. I haven't looked at his stats, but as far as it goes, mate, I just think this should be quite a simple, comprehensive win for Pompey. So let's get into our score predictions. 
Unless you've got anything else to add, really, on Fleetwood? No, nothing specific. I think if you want to my goals, my prediction, I'm going to go with a 2-0 ports of win and I'm going to go with Robertson and Bishop to score and we're going to keep their young wingers quiet and go away with a very comfortable three points. Do you think Bishop starts in this game? I think so. Messino didn't opt to play play him or start him in the game on Tuesday. They started Yengi. So are they really going to play Yengi three games on the spin? Probably not. And I think this is the sort of game to get Bishop back in, I think, because we're still going to be able to run in between the gaps in the centiles and the fullbacks in this game. And Bishop's link-up play might help if he would randomly decide to sit in a little bit as well. So, no, it's the sort of game where you start Bishop and then if if there, if he, if he it really doesn't click and he's still not matched up, you bring Yengi on like the 60th minute or something. Yeah, completely agree. I want to go with a 3-0 Pompey win. Seems to be a score that Fleetwood are, are giving away as Christmas presents at this moment in time over the festive period. So, 3-0, Bishop, Robertson, let's go Kamara again. Why not? Let's keep that going. All right. Short and sweet this week for a festive episode of Freddie Webb, but we wanted to try and get something out to people rather than lazing around. So, here we go. Freddie, it's been great being on the podcast. Oh, always a pleasure, Hugh. Thank you. Ha- have a lovely Christmas. And listeners, have a lovely Christmas as well. Hope you guys all enjoy your breaks and uh, hopefully Pompey's festive period brings us more joy as well. Yeah, and we'll be doing an episode next week as well, just for people listening, wondering if we'll be doing another episode. And finally, before I say goodbye, thank you to everybody who has donated towards the Pompey Food Bank Appeal for Pompey News Now. We've managed to get 750 quid so far to helping people you know, who are in a worse situation than us. So thank you to everyone who's donated. Let's see if we can get that to 800 and go from there. But until next time, play up Pompey. You have been listening to the PO forecast for Pompey News Now, available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO forecast at Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle. 